<coughs> and we're looking at, as part of a series on the ands of the Bible, the kind of paradoxes, the opposites that are within Scripture. And uh, today we're looking at slavery and freedom. And uh, we're looking at this passage where Paul talks about that in uh, Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 11. It should come up on the screen for you to have a look at as well. So dead to sin, alive in Christ. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using as an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now... Offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, we pray now that you would speak to us through your word. Thank you that we have it as a guide in our life, that it is truth to us, and that it changes us, that by your truth we are set free. Amen. Amen. Good morning. morning. Wonderful to see everyone here. And um, uh, some of you may know that our youngest son um, is is studying architecture. So I get the privilege every now and again of checking out an essay, seeing a bit of project work he's doing. Um, And I'm just the nature of what I am. I just get fascinated by by what other people are are finding out, what they're learning about. And um, I came across uh, this building. This was uh, a project he, he had to work on. And it's a, it's a chapel based at Seattle University. It's called the Chapel of St. Ignatius. Um, and I found it a really fascinating design. You might think it's a little bit of a weird-looking building. Um, but architects use a device, um, and it's a device called the Party, P-A-R-T-I, um, before you were thinking that was just students uh, uh, going on one. The Party Pre, it's a, it's a French term, I think. And what it means is it's like the, the theme of the design. It's the organizing thought. It's the, it's the big idea that is behind something. And this chapel was designed by uh, Stephen Hull. And the party, or the, the design, if you like, thought 
um, idea behind it was this, seven bottles of light in a stone box. Now, you may be thinking this really is after a party, and uh, this is where this idea came from. But when you begin to understand that's his theme, then you begin to understand a little bit about the, the building because it, it impacts everything. It, it, it impacts the light, the daylight coming in from the building and how it lights the different parts of the chapel and the impact that that has um, in a, quite a beautiful way uh, around the building. But also the light inside the building shining out at night um, as a beacon on the hill that draws people to it. And uh, I, I just found it fascinating of how this kind of works. But to understand the building, it's really helpful to understand where the architect was coming from in their design in the first place, and then we can begin to kind of come to grips with it. And so it is with us as people. If we can understand ourselves, then we must understand the design themes that we have. And so right at the start of the maker's manual, as it were, we read precisely that in the book of Genesis. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And in just those few verses, we see three or four times what God's design theme is. And that is that we are made in his image. We are made in his likeness. That is the big idea that we need to really grasp and understand in who we are as people. And uh, when Jesus talks to the, the Samaritan woman at the well, and uh, they're talking about God, he says God is spirit, okay? That God is a spiritual being, and therefore a key part of how we are formed as human beings is that we are spiritual beings, that we have a spirit that is part of us. The fish, the birds, and the animals don't. They don't have a spirit. They're not spiritual beings. They were not created in God's image, but you and I were. And so there's a, there's a kind of sense in which there's not just the outer part of us, but there's an inner part of us. There's the bit that makes you, you, okay, which is, is inside. It's not, it's, not, it's not just your body, but actually there's an inner you. And so the key point is whether you call it your soul, your spirit, whatever, there's an outer person and we have an inner person. Um, and uh, the outer bit is your picture appears on your passport and the inner bit doesn't. But you know which part, something of that, that it is. But when your outer person is connected to your inner person, that means that you are alive. Okay? Physically, you're alive. So just check with the person next to you that they are. You can pinch them, whatever. Okay? If they are alive, okay, then their outer person is connected to their inner person. And um, physically alive. But we also have God, who is spirit. And so our inner person, which is spiritual can also connect to God. And that means that we can be spiritually alive uh, or we can be spiritually dead, um, depending on that connection. So that is the original design. That's the original intent for, for every one of us, is that we're both physically alive and spiritually alive. And so Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have Adam and Eve who experience both of those, physical life, spiritual life with God, connected to him. 
And uh, if one of, if, you know, if Adam were to die physically, okay, then that bit can, becomes disconnected, but he remains Adam. He remains still connected to God and his, his inner person is still alive. And so Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians. He says, you know, if I'm to die, I'm away from the body, but I'm at home with the Lord. I still am existing uh, in that. And at every level, deep down, we are spiritual beings. But it's the spiritual reality which is the real reality. We tend to live in a world that says the physical reality is all there is, and that is what it's about. But the truth is, it's the spiritual reality that is the real. Paul puts it like this. He says, everything physical is only temporary, and one day all the physical stuff will pass away. But the spiritual things will last forever, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. And it's really important to understand how we are actually made um, as we come to this subject this morning. So in Genesis chapter 3, we then see that mankind is fooled by this wily character, the serpent, representing the devil. And, uh, and the end result of that is they walk away from God in disobedience and rebellion. They're no longer connected to God. They are spiritually dead instead. And they now sin begins to reign, begins to uh, influence and dominate uh, their lack. They don't trust God, they disobey him, and they rebel against him. And so it opens us up to a, a different spiritual entity um, and uh, the controlling influence of sin uh, in our lives. And uh, so we have uh, what Paul calls uh, in Colossians the kingdom of light, um, where there is forgiveness and where there is freedom and the dominion of darkness, where we are slaves, uh, if you like. And uh, every, every slip uh, becomes a pattern in life, and a pattern of obedience to something is what slavery is. We become trapped by it, and we start to obey our new master, as it were. Um, and so we effectively become slaves to sin. And so we find ourselves born into this condition as human beings, where the connection has been broken. And every human being is trying to find a way to fix something that they're not quite sure what it is that is broken in our lives. Um, but the, the, the New Testament, the Bible, begins to explain to us and show us what life is real, really all about. So everybody's looking for freedom. Everybody's looking for something in life. It can include purpose. It can include looking for love. It can include looking for security, um, for peace. Uh, these things that will somehow satisfy the inner person uh, within us. And in our world, um, there, are, there are voices that tell us what that might be. Um, and uh, I just want to unpack some of these. First of all, there is the, the world's false promises. And uh, the world makes some very bold claims um, that it can fulfill our deepest needs. It may say that what you need is to get the qualifications. That will, that will give you success in the world. Or you've got to excel at something, this sports whatever it might be. Um, you need to be able to spin all the plates of life. You need to be able to do everything that everyone expects of you and more. And in that way, you will be significant. Um, you will find that hunger fulfilled in your life. The world says that if you want to be secure, then you have to get some money behind you. It's actually about financial security. That's the main thing in the Western world that you need. You need a good salary, you need a big house, or you need to flaunt the symbols of worldly success, the designer clothes, the flash cars, so that people at least think you've probably got the money behind it. Because people will assume that you are you know, to be liked, and therefore they want to honor you, respect you, uh, and you will feel safe, or you will feel secure in this world if you do that. 
Perhaps it's acceptance that we're looking for in life. You know, the world says that you need to get people to like you. On social media, that is, how many likes can you get? How many shares can you get? I need to be liked. Um, you need people to admire you. Um, sometimes the world will say, you, people, you need to get people to desire you. Um, and we find ourselves looking for intimacy. And the world says, well, that can just be found in the act of sex. And yet there are so many people totally disillusioned trying to find what true intimacy really is that they were designed for. And it's not wrong to look for these things. It's not wrong to look for security and significance and acceptance. But the world's promises are false. It says if you do these things, you'll find them. When in actual fact, they may, they may help for a little while, but ultimately they fail. They, ultimately, they all fail. And then there's the voice of religion and religion's false promises. Because it says, well, surely it's about getting back into relationship with God. Surely this bit that's broken, you know, then we need to somehow be accepted by God. Um, perhaps that's a more promising approach, which it sounds like it is. But the question is, how do you fix it? How do you get right with God? And so people through time and right across the planet and all the major religions have realized that we need to somehow please God and uh, become acceptable to him. But religion has concluded that the way to do that is to simply live up to a set of rules, to obey a certain set of standards. And if you do that, then hopefully you'll be, you'll be okay. Um, but the Old Testament, which is nearly two-thirds of our Bible, is basically like a social experiment saying it doesn't work. Because God makes these, gives these laws, says, well, here's some laws to follow. Um, and if you can follow these laws, then I will bless you. But if you don't, then I won't. And what happens is they discover they can't. We find out that we, we can't live up to them. We, we always fall short. And so it, it's proven not to work very, very clearly. Uh, the law was powerless, writes Paul, to give us back the life that Adam and Eve lost. And the reason being is that we're still spiritually dead. Still spiritually dead and therefore incapable of pleasing God. But religion still peddles that lie that we can please God somehow by our own efforts. And Christianity isn't exempt from it either with, with legalism where the, the outer behavior becomes more important than the inner devotion of our lives. And so the, both the voice of this world and the voice of religion kind of come up with a very similar lie which is you need to do these things or you need to do these things and uh, that will make you um, acceptable to God. That will give you the freedom that you're looking for. And yet what does God say? You know, how, how, what does God say about reconnecting? our spirit, our inner person, to God's spirit. And for those of us that are familiar with the gospel message, with the, with the Christian message, uh, we know that it is not something we could do ourselves, but it's taken God's initiative to send Jesus to die and to, to rise again, to make it, make it possible for us to be restored, to make that, that link to be made again. But sometimes we think that Jesus was sent so our sins could be forgiven which in a sense he was, but that was not the main thing. It was only a means to an end. The reason Jesus came was so that you may have life and have it in all its fullness, as John puts it in chapter 10. Adam and Eve lost life, spiritual life. Jesus has come to give us life and to restore that. He said, you know, I'm the resurrection and the life. Um, whoever believes in me will live even though they die. They will spiritually live because they, even if they physically die. 
Now, there are two Greek words um, for the word life in the New Testament. There's the word bios, which means physical life, which is where you get biology from. Um, and there is zoe, which is, means spiritual life, which is a completely different order of life. Um, so is anybody called Zoe? Anyone know a Zoe? Okay, it's quite a, it's a fairly popular name. Anyone know a Bios? <laughs> it didn't really catch on quite as much. I don't know if it's because it's similar to B.O. I don't, I don't know what it was, but uh, that name didn't catch on quite as much. But this Zoe, this spiritual life, is where we find all of these things restored. We find our significance, our security, our acceptance um, being reconnected with God. So when you're a Christian, if you're a Christian today, you are right now as significant as, as Adam and Eve were. You are as secure as they were in Genesis chapter 2. You're as accepted as they were. You know, so they were given the, the world to rule over, a pretty significant thing to do. Okay, they were given the complete security of walking with the provision and the protection of God their Father. They had the intimacy with God of walking in the cool of day in relationship with Him. And uh, all of that is effectively, is, is we are as significant, as secure, and as accepted as they are. You might not feel like that though. But the question is, do we believe our feelings or do we believe the truth of what God has given us, of what God has made us? So when it comes to our significance, you know, Ephesians 2 talks about that we are um, God's workmanship. Uh, the word behind it is the word poema, a bit like our word poem. It's like we are handcrafted. We are a, a created artwork um, for God's purposes, and he's given us good works to do. That is pretty significant. Okay? It says that we are the temple of God. Now, the readers of the day understood the importance of the temple. They knew the temple was the place where God was. Right? You are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have God. You are the place where God is in this world. Okay? That's pretty significant. And we are priests, each one of us. We are, we are to represent God to our world. We are to join him in his mission as we go about our, our jobs, our, our lives, our work in the community, whatever it might be. Okay? That is pretty significant if you really understand uh, who you are and what, what God has done. Security, you know, daily provision uh, every day. You know, the Father who provides. You know, that little passage in Matthew 6 where it says, you know, he, he feeds the birds of the air and he clothes the flowers of the field. How much more will he look after his children? Okay, he will provide and protect and provide for our day-to-day -day security. Eternal assurance. You know, his promise is everlasting life, eternal life. Okay, the spiritual stuff that will go on forever is real and is absolutely guaranteed because we trust in what Jesus has done. Acceptance. Um, he calls us our friend. Okay, he says, I call you my friend. We're adopted into his family. Um, Jesus said, you know, my brothers and my sisters are those who do the will of God. We're literally his brothers and sisters. That's how accepted we are. Uh, Jude writes that you are loved, you are chosen, you are kept. Um, he's lavished his love upon his children. And we are totally accepted. Even though our sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And so we have all of those things um, when we are in relationship uh, with God. And so we come to Romans 6. 
And uh, this expands this whole thing of, of slave and free. Who are we slave to? Who are we free to? And I love this verse in verse 19 where Paul writes, I'm using an example from every day because of your human limitations. Thanks, Paul. Just a helpful reminder. You know, I realize you, you, know, you get your heads around this stuff. But it does remind us that actually this is perhaps quite um, big stuff that we need to um, understand. So Romans um, from verse 11, in the same way he says, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. And uh, the first, I just want to unpack three words, really, in this, in this passage. And the first two, refer, Paul uses to refer to sin in verse 12. And it's the words reign and the word obey. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. And the word for reign means... Well, we, we kind of know what it means. It's, it's to exercise dominion over. It's to um, exercise authority over at a kind of royal level. You know, a king reigns. You know, a king rules. Um, it's somebody who dominates someone's life. And uh, Paul's readers, you know, this is the book to the Romans. So in Rome, they understood what it meant to be dominated by a, an emperor, to be dominated by the rule of Caesar. You know, for everybody had to submit to his, his rule and his words. And before we know Christ, the enemy, this character Satan, Paul says, reigns. Okay? He reigns over our lives. Colossians 1.13, we referred to earlier, we were part of his dominion. Um, Luke 22.53, it's a dominion where darkness reigns. Okay? It dominates. It reigns over our lives. It rules over our lives. And he says, don't let it reign. And secondly, he uses the word obey, which means to listen to, but in the sense of, and then following the instructions. So I've heard what he said, I'm going to do also. Do not let sin do that. Don't listen to it. So the question is, what voices are in a person listening to? Okay, Is it listening to the voice of sin, or is it listening to the voice of God's Spirit? Do not let sin reign, dominate, be king in your mortal body. And so obey and listen to and follow its evil desires. And so often we are still listening to that voice. You know, it rings us up on a regular uh, basis. And we have a choice of whether we're going to hang up or whether we're going to give it some airplay in our hearts and minds. And uh, we're not to. But our tendency is always to follow the cause of least resistance. You know, the easy way in life is often that way. You know, when we're feeling down, when we're struggling, when we, we don't feel significant, when we don't feel secure, when we don't feel accepted, then we make ourselves vulnerable to the, the ways that the world pulls uh, towards us. And what we're actually doing is we're letting ourselves be controlled either by the, the king of darkness and sin or by the king of light and righteousness. Because we become slaves, says Paul. Or as Jesus put it, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And we've been set free. 
As Christians, we can be set free. We have been set free. Um, And the secret to that freedom, Paul says, is this word. It's the word offer. Offer yourselves. Um, I'll come back to that in a second. I'm just going to, verse 19, offer yourselves as slaves, not to sin, but as a slave of righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness because we're spiritually dead. Now, verse 22, you have been set free from the sin and you become slaves of God. Remember again, this is Paul's everyday example so we can get our heads around it. But anyway, because the wages of sin, he says, or the consequences of sin is death, spiritual death. But the gift of God is eternal life. It is real life. And so in verse 13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. And it's interesting to think, when we sin, we don't just sin. We're actually serving the master of sin. And when we do right, we're not just doing right, we're serving the king of righteousness. And I find that quite a helpful thought in thinking how I want to live my life um, behind that. But that is a daily choice. You know, Jesus himself said, watch and pray, because if you, um, you know, the, the, the spirit is willing, but the, uh, the body is weak, the flesh is weak. Um, and therefore, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. And so daily, we're to choose to offer ourselves, we're to offer every part of ourselves to God. Um, and so we start perhaps with our time. We offer our time, which is really about our priorities. What will I prioritize uh, in life? Um, because we need to give God all of that. Um, it's easy to get our priorities wrong in life. I came across this um, light-hearted uh, newspaper ad. I think it was serious, actually, originally. Farmer seeks lady with tractor with view to companionship and possible marriage. Please send picture. Brackets of tractor. <laughs> you could question the priorities there, couldn't you? But it's our priorities change, then people become far more important than possessions. And our number one priority is our relationship with God. And so when, if, we, if we read a, a bit of the Bible in the morning, if we pray in the, middle of, in the morning, or at the start of our days, whenever it is, that is bound to have a positive impact upon our lives. Um, and therefore that is good to do. And uh, I encourage every single person Um, to do that, to set aside some sort of time to be alone with him. I know there are stages of life when that is really challenging and it's not about, you know, rules and regulations, but it's finding ways where we can connect with God and and prioritize that relationship. Time with Christians on Sundays. You know, we're to gather together. We're to come together. Why are we to do it? To encourage one another. To encourage one another. It may be in in a group in the week, life group, community group, triplet, Um, But we're to offer our time as a starting point. We're to offer our ambitions to God. We're to offer them to him, whatever they are. We're to surrender them to him. Um, He says, actually, we're to seek his kingdom first and foremost. And then everything else will fall into place. So our ultimate ambition is to seek God's kingdom first. And everything else that we have is to to serve under that. Um, It's to be secondary to that. 
And whatever we to do, we're to do it for the glory of God. And that can be absolutely anything uh, in our lives. But let's do it for the glory of God and surrender our ambitions to him. You know, we offer our possessions and our money. You know, if we want to find financial freedom, Jesus says, then be generous. Be hilariously generous, says Paul. And so are you offering, you know, in your offering, is, is that regular? Is that proportionate? Is that generous um, through the local church? Um, letting, um, declaring that we are free from this God of materialism, that we are not a slave to this God, but actually we are serving this God in the freedom that we have and offering that as a resource for God's kingdom. We offer our ears, you know, what we listen to. Um, as, as I read these words in, um, in this chapter even, you know, am I saying to God, speak to me? I want to listen to what you're saying into my life. I don't want to listen to gossip. I don't want to listen to lies, but I do want to listen to truth and grace, and I want it to shape uh, my life and be a blessing. We offer our eyes, you know, what we see. I don't want to look in a way that, that leads to judgment or jealousy or lust or greed, but I want to use my eyes in a way to say, I want to see what God sees, and uh, I offer them today, Lord, let me see what you see today. And let me be a blessing as a result of that. We offer our, our mouths, our words. They can be spoken words. They can be written words. They can be what you post on a social media site. And the Apostle James reminds us of how powerful our words are. How powerful the tongue is as an instrument. And he says they can be used to bless or they can be used to curse. You know, to draw attention to ourselves or to speak well of others. And we offer our words uh, to God. We offer our sexuality to him. You know, sex is reserved for the good of marriage. And so we offer that to God as well, that we would find freedom and live God's way. We offer our feet to him. Every part of our body we offer to him. The places that we go to, the places we step into. With the World Cup in its full flow, maybe that's football. Maybe that's your thing. It's part of the football team. Or it's actually a part of a team that you're part of. How are you using every part of your body? Where you walk into? The place that you walk into on Monday morning? You know, are we offering our feet, our very selves, as it like, in that? And there are places that our feet need to avoid. Places of temptation. Places that are not helpful for us. Um, and we choose not to. But we're not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies. We're to offer every part of ourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. Use these parts of me, Lord, in a way that is good. For sin shall no longer be your master. And perhaps as we come to a close this morning, it's a little bit like the Cinderella story. You know, she's, she's effectively enslaved, tyrannized really, by her stepmother and her stepsisters. She has a pretty grim life. She has no freedom at all. She has to do what they say. And she would so long to go to the ball. She would so long to find uh, her freedom. Um, and then a fairy godmother comes along and she waves her magic and suddenly she can. And the gown appears and the transport appears and uh, the prince falls in love with her. And uh, then at midnight, it all disappears, except the glass slipper, of course. And as she runs back home before midnight and she finds herself back as a servant and a slave in that dusty, dirty fireplace. But the prince wants to find his princess. And how often do we live like that as Christians? That we, we, we had no freedom. We were slaves. We were servants, as Paul says. 
we were dominated by another, longing to go to the banquet, and then, then we get the invitation to the banquet, and we get the transport because of what Jesus has done on the cross and the resurrection, and we're given these, these robes of righteousness so that we can be there, and uh, he's worked his deeper magic, as C.S. Lewis puts it, in the Narnia stories, and we find a prince who loves us deeply, and yet, instead of being deeply devoted to Jesus, um, and a slave and a servant of righteousness, we find ourselves rushing back to the rags and to the dirt um, of, of what was, enslaved once again, not believing that we were made for more, not believing that what God has said is true about us. We were dead, but now we're spiritually alive, that sin no longer reigns in me. And as Jesus put it, he said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And, uh, and therefore we can, but we need to believe it and we need to understand it and we need to offer ourselves uh, continually to him because living for ourselves is slavery, but as we live for him, that is where we find freedom. Let's pray together as the, the bands come up. Father, we pray, we thank you for so much of what you've made possible to give us life, that spiritual life. And I pray for every person in this room that they would, they would want to step into that. And as we step into it, Lord, that we would offer ourselves uh, afresh to you. And let's just take these next few moments in our hearts and through the songs and maybe if you want prayer this morning, just as a way of, of offering ourselves, offering every part of ourselves as an instrument of righteousness, offering ourselves afresh to you this morning. Amen.